This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we have our special co-host, Jamie Zalman. She is the founder and president of Titan CEO, and our guest, Nick Easley. He's the founder and CEO of 3C Consulting, and he's the managing director of Multi-Risk Capital. Jamie, Nick, good morning and welcome. Super good morning. Thanks so much, Bob, for making the time. Oh, absolutely. We were privileged by you taking the time and, and sharing your experience and wisdom with us. So with that being said, if you would, tell us about your business and who you serve. Super. Well, you know, I've been in the legal cannabis industry for over 14 years. Um, originally, was an Air Force linguist and uh, speak a few languages, was from farm country in Wisconsin. And after the military, I got hurt after about four years and came to Colorado and medical cannabis was legal in 2006-7 and got my first medical card, but saw how people were growing and was really kind of disgusted by pesticides and like indoor lights, very unsustainable and unenvironmental and not safe for patients. So really started my business nearly a decade and a half ago to help the cannabis industry form in a very responsible way. And as you see it now being over a $30 billion annual industry, which is a drop in the bucket for where this will go, was really to help companies understand the regulatory risks and compliance of navigating this very brand new industry that is a medical product, you know, it's an adult use product, but then also getting into the hemp industry and making papers and plastics and fibers. So helping businesses and investors navigate this very complex and new industry is really how we established ourselves. Yeah, lots of ways to go. For you know your most recent or current or typical client, what are the typical issues that a client that you're serving now has that you were able to solve their problems? I, I guess I'm trying to paint a picture in the listener's mind of what your clients, who your clients are. Well, one of the, the challenges with cannabis is that it's federally illegal. And then each state has come up with their own medical or adult use program. And as of today, you know, at the end of 2020, um, we have 16 adult use states where 21 and older consumption possession is legal. And then we have 47 states with some sort of medical laws on their books and about 37 of those also having medical sales. So normally in a normal business, you're like, I want to open a gas station or a restaurant. You would have that state's department of health to deal with. But when it comes to cannabis, each program is very, very different where, you know, I'm working on applications right now in the state of Georgia, 11 million people, they're giving six licenses for cultivation for 11 million person marketplace. Going to be very, very competitive. So how does a client build a team, you know, put their financial models together, like start to raise capital, like put together thousands of pages of voluminous application content about the standards of DEA cages and vaults that they might need or video recording or production plans based on the Georgia Departments of Agriculture requirements. So we really help people that want to get into a new market and not just domestic. I mean, we've done license work in 19 countries. So I own and operate cannabis businesses in Portugal, Denmark, Germany, South Africa, Colombia, Uruguay, Canada, just to name a few. And each one of those has their own regulatory requirements that if they don't have over a decade of experience, how do they solve those problems or raise capital or have some sort of unique advantage? Because, I mean, you might have seen in some of your states, like you're driving around, you might see like sticky buds or something that's very cliche, like a green cross or like flashing pot leaf. And this industry, you know, even though I have a beard now, but we're a very professional industry and in trying to like make this a, a bona fide industry for the United States and internationally. So to help clients come up with new strategies to not repeat the same past mistakes of California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, even though this is where we started, we'll never allow a client to repeat past mistakes that we saw other groups do in other markets. It's refreshing listening to you speak about just the wealth of knowledge in this industry, which is one of the reasons why you were recognized as a 2020 Titan 100. So for those of you that are listening, 
I'm holding up a copy of the 2020 Titan 100 book, which recognizes Colorado's top 100 CEOs and C-level executives, 100 titans of industry, which clearly Nick is a titan in the uh, cannabis world. So I have to ask you, Nick, and I ask all of the titans that we interview in this podcast series, you know, what characteristics do you believe it takes to be considered a titan of industry? Well, there's always millions of problems in business. And, you know, I'm a biologist and and a military linguist. I had never studied, you know, I didn't have an MBA. I didn't have normal business training, but I looked at things from like an ecological lens, like systems. And business owners are always going to face problems with internal problems, external problems, threats, competition, liabilities. Like, so I think really, if you're going to be at the tip of the spear of your game, it's like dealing with problems before they start and you're planning and like understanding like what's really unique about what you do as a business or a business leader and how to maintain that culture, especially now during COVID times. I can't just go into an office and have a big motivational presentation, give everybody a gift and like, like really motivate people. It's like, how do you adapt and change the situations as, the, as they come up? Because we were, you know, always, it's still federally illegal what we do and very, very risky and like trying to navigate this and not having normal banking. So we have to solve every single problem from ground up. It's never been solved before. So I think one of the, the biggest things is like innovation and perseverance to where you know, someone might say it's like, oh, like 40 hours a week. I'm like, that's cute. I remember my first four, like part-time job. <laughs> it's that delicate balance and, you know, being, you know, a single kind of veteran, how to like manage that like startup mentality or business mentality and like that home and work-life balance and knowing that if it's just a business and just revenue that you're interested in, like that's not going to motivate you. But like if it's mission driven, like I'm a disabled vet, I know medical cannabis helped me get off of 11 different types of prescriptions almost 14 years ago. I really owe my life to this plant and that's why I'm able to run my company in such an aggressive way that this isn't just about profitability and KPIs. It's really how do we deliver like quality medicine that's sustainable, affordable, and really like set a new example for what an industry is going to be where you you could think of like alcohol, like what alcohol has done to our culture versus like cannabis. And now with this being legalized, how to really not just monetize on the opportunity, but this isn't just, like I said, it's not just an opportunity, it's a responsibility. So for business leaders to find that like, why, like, why do they do what they do? It's not just, you know, to sell more soap or to sell more houses or to build bigger buildings, but like your buildings that are more energy efficient or going to be better for design or like healthier environments for people to live better lives. Like that's what your business needs to do. And if you forget that as a business leader, your customers are going to see that the regulators are going to see that. Or if you're going for too much margin, like your competition is going to like find that unique secret sauce. So you always have to be innovating and never the biggest sin in business is getting complacent and thinking I'm at the tip of my game. Everything's going well. We're winning in all these states. We keep doing better. We have to constantly innovate and stay on the top of that to avoid like competitors, you know, taking us out or just becoming mundane or forgetting our mission and our focus. Like that's the main thing I remember and remind my staff and our customers every day. It's like, we get to do this once. Normal industries have, you know, established for hundreds and hundreds of years, like real estate. They're not making any more real estate. Like this new world, it's, it's ours for the taking. And if we don't do it right, there's bad people out there that might establish this industry very irresponsibly and sell just like you might've heard with like the vape crisis for like electronic cigarettes and cannabis. Like some of those were very, very dangerous with pesticides. So as soon as we hear things like that, we, we really start to work with regulators and think, how do we make this safe so it doesn't have a bad credibility? Because 
I'm coming from 80 years of plus of federal prohibition. So we really have a big job on our hands, but we can never get complacent and forget why we do what we do to make the world a better place with our business and for our customers and for the planet that really supports this plant that we grow and caretake. Profound words spoken like a true Titan, that's for sure. And thank you for sharing your why with us. You know, I, as you were talking and I was thinking your path from there to here, biology degree, I'm a TAC Intel guy, you're a linguist, both have Intel background. I only speak Southern, so I never picked up a second language, <laughs> so I'm handicapped for sure. But in any case, if you could, for the, uh, for the listeners, how did you get basically from the farm to where you are now? Yeah, and you know, from like central Wisconsin, kind of like farm country all around, you know, I was in FFA, Future Farmers for America. I was like the one not dairy kid. Um, I was all about like vegetables and uh, like I was homeschooled by a botanist for a few years in middle school and really you know, he had a big Native American background and like honoring medicinal plants and like the space for them. So, you know, going through high school, I, you know, I was a raft guide down in Tennessee and North Carolina in the summer times during high school, still never understood how my parents allowed me to like go from Wisconsin to live with a bunch of college kids in the woods in Tennessee, but developed like a big love for whitewater and adventure. And, you know, the military had approached me. I was going to just go to normal college, but they said, you have a really high aptitude to learn languages. How many do you speak? And I'm like, that's a big old zero. So, um, you know, being 18, went into the military, I figured instead of my parents using all their savings to send me to college, like I would do the right thing and learn some skill sets, personal development, go into the military and, you know, having white level security clearance, working on high level, you know, top secret type projects with linguistics and international relations. I, I learned really early on that professionalism goes a long way, but in getting hurt and then having like, you know, the VA you know, provide medications after I'd gotten out, I, I just thought that was the right thing to do. But when I got to Colorado, like I said, like medical cannabis was legal and I came out just to be a ski bum, you know, in Crested Butte back in 2006, did a winter out here, like learned about cannabis, you know, tried that, slept wonderfully for like the first time in years and like didn't have a lot of pain from some of my injuries. And then I wanted to see how people grew it. But when I saw that, I was really just disgusted to think how we were utilizing this plant and cannabis is dioecious. There's a male and a female and like the female it, unpollinated flower is what's really important, but it was being grown with such a dangerous pesticides and there was no research, no understanding that like for me to have gotten off of those medications and realize like there's really a profound medical opportunity here in hemp, you know, being like the great Dane of, you know, our species and medical cannabis is like the little poodle. They're both dogs. We really kind of looked into ways that we could, you know, or how I could as like a business owner, like not only make a living, but like make an impact. So it was really, you know, from getting hurt in the military and then like the entire Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine really was like getting my physical body working better. And during those six months, I, I started to get a profound reason of like, we're a part of a biological system. And like we have a role in this. And then I started thinking about businesses, how businesses are roles in this and, and how could I use business to really make the impact I wanted other than just writing a book or teaching a few growers in Colorado. So, you know, by 2010, then we were doing some of the first greenhouses in Colorado using natural sunlight, just like Echinacea farms I'd worked on as a kid or tomatoes. And I was seeing the environmental impact being about one sixth of what it was to do this indoors and how we could actually cultivate cannabis organically, sustainably and provide medicine and also make it a lot cheaper and more accessible for people. So it was really all of the, the painful bad things on my path, like in the military of getting hurt that led me you know, to a medicinal plant and then led me to a state that actually allowed I mean, Colorado was more legal. We had the first legal medical program ever that was commercialized where you could purchase it, not just like donations like California originally. And then in 2014, to be one of the first business owners to own adult use dispensaries, like we've had six years of recreational cannabis in Colorado. And like to take that experience then to these other states to where, you know, people see the green rush 
but they don't know how to do this. And they'll often just repeat those same mistakes in the past. So really, it was all the things that had happened to me that allowed me to see the industry and where it was going and know that one way or another, we didn't know how fast it was going to take or that we would just, you know, this year have five new states come online or two and a half weeks ago, the United Nations I've worked with the United Nations as a voting member for the opiate crisis for about two and a half years as an advisor and to see that the United Nations finally removed cannabis from Schedule 4, which was the same as heroin, no medicinal benefit. So on an international level to be changing policies with, on the pesticide work group in Colorado with their Department of Ag to all the way to the, the highest levels of government with the United Nations to think of how some tragedy actually allowed me to change international drug policy. Like I said earlier, it, it's really a responsibility now to help this industry grow and guide because there's already multi-billion dollar Canadian public companies in this, but they all thought they'd produce cannabis in, in Canada, which is very cold compared to like some of our farms in Colombia, where we're producing it for seven to 10 cents a gram compared to a dollar, dollar 50. And it's like, what's the environmental implications of this that really kind of allowed us to see this and grow with this and using my GA bill to get another degree in college at Western State Colorado University in Gunnison. I was studying environmental sciences. I already had degrees from the military, but I did an energy audit on the cannabis industry. And it came out, commonly people don't realize, like one gram or a marijuana cigarette, like a joint, could take over 22 pounds of coal to produce that gram. And it was like the sunlight, like we can change this industry. We don't have to do what High Times taught us for years and years. So it's really been, that is kind of like, that brought me from Wisconsin Farm Kid. It's like FFA all the way to now to being a business executive and flying and working typically, you know, all over the world. And I'm, I'm really thankful for those things or those enemies or those, those injuries of the past that led me to here, because without it, I probably wouldn't be in this industry and it probably wouldn't be as safe as it is now from some of the things that we've learned and educated the regulators on. It's quite profound, just the impact and listening to you that you've had in your industry. And, you know, there's so many things that we don't understand or think about. This is really, you know, it's so you're navigating new waters with regulation and rules and regulations that you're really paving the way for many. And uh, kudos to you for taking the stand, right, to be someone who wants to set the standard for how things should be done, because somebody has to, somebody has to step up. And no, I appreciate your experience. And it's just fascinating listening to you because we don't have in atypical business, we don't have a lot of these challenges, right, with the fact of all these regulations. So it's just so interesting to hear you talk and speak about how you've navigated things. So with that, I have to ask you, um, you've amassed quite a a bit of knowledge and experience. But if you could go back 10 years, per se, and of experience and offer the less experienced you some kind of advice about leading or building what you have built today, what would you say to yourself? Well, in a new industry or a new business, you know, there's no roadmap. Like we always are kind of like guessing. So, but I I realize now there were a lot of resources out there for typical businesses. And, you know, I kind of committed that error of like, okay, we're so busy. We're so much demand. We're growing fast, hiring. It's like, we'll fix some of this stuff later. You know, that idea as a business owner that like, we're going to just keep going and going fast and then we'll fix some of these problems later. Those problems get bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to fix later, where it's really easy to get entrenched. Imagine the pioneers crossing the prairies. Like if you keep going in the same path, like those wagon wheel ruts get deeper and deeper, and then it's harder to change later or to turn your course. So I wish I could have said, it's like some of the things like I should have prioritized more on like HR, staffing, payroll, like accountability, like legal compliance, like documentation of like having really strong templates because 
someone like myself being a public speaker, like, you know, it's like you said, like navigating the waters. I was a Grand Canyon river guide for years. And what we do with clients commonly is like help them navigate new places. And we've been there before, but having been there before, I make sure that my clients never ever like repeat some of the things. So we now have like new business checklists. Like when you start a business, here are 37 things you need to do to get ahead of these problems. So I wish I could have taken some of my own advice, but if I hadn't made some of those problems early on, I would have never known how important they were. And when you have like a key man or a key woman, and that's mission driven, like one-to-one consulting or one-to-one working with clients, it doesn't scale. It's like trying to figure out how very early on it could have gone from one to many of templatizing certain offerings, where if I'm going to have seven clients in Arizona at the same time, like they all need to know the same thing. Instead of me having to get on those calls or my project managers get on those calls, like how could we make it more accessible for them to like get this information, do the things that they need to do instead of having us limited client by client by client. That's really what allowed us to scale a lot bigger about five years ago of going from one to one and one to many. And how can you do one thing that's going to have massive impact for massive clients and be repurposable instead of spending all the time to like do the exact same thing for a client. And that handholding is nice, like that personal touch. But when you have a deadline or like I get a call from Denmark and the applications are due in nine days and we have to buy property. And it's like, if I didn't have a template roadmap, you know, I wouldn't be able to deploy and win, you know, two of the licenses out of the 10 licenses in the country or like these Georgia ones that just happened last minute. And it's like, these licenses are going to be worth 20 to $50 million a piece of paper once they get them. But it's like the all-nighters and the working having the content to repurpose like a knowledge management system. You're a smart business owner, no matter what it is, if it's plumbing, if it's accounting, if it's even if you're an artist, I have some great, amazing artist friends, like from some of those videos you saw where I did some of my filming this summer. And I was like, how, like you sell one painting, that's one thing, but like, how could that painting like be on mugs, be on stickers, be on t-shirts and like share that joy and that beauty with as many people as possible. That's also a lot of diversity of revenue streams. You can never have just one. And when a market's done or you can no longer sell that painting, for example, it's like, what are you going to do? So that's one thing I would have really talked to myself in the past of how to go from one to one to one to many and have templatized systems in place. And you don't need to hire a great HR person. You don't need to hire a great marketing person. There are amazing third-party vendors out there that can take care of a lot of your basic business needs early on so you can stay lean and focused on what you do. And at the end of the day, I always thought it would be cheaper to have my own CFO, my own CMO, like my own everything. When instead now using like Gusto or ADP or some of these other companies, that's what they do as experts. So trusting experts to do what they do so that you can do what you do even better. Wow. You know, they say tuition is expensive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you got to think back, yeah, I could have spent that money a little differently for sure. But, you know, it's, I oftentimes wonder about the preservation of intellectual property that occurs from experience. You know, like for you, you've got all this between your ears. You know, luckily some of it's been put out there in a scalable mechanism. But, you know, if you got run over by a bus tomorrow, you know, it always strikes me as who's memorialized this journey and the smart part, which is part of what the podcast does, is we try to capture some bit of that intellectual property and share it. So, you know, with that day-to-day, with your varied interests and, and enterprises, what do you do daily in self-talk or motivation to keep you focused and moving forward? What does that look like? Well, before coronavirus times, it was a whole different world. Um, for almost <laughs> like three years before coronavirus times, I didn't have a home base. I've got my Strawville house here in Colorado. I hadn't even slept in my own bed for six years before coronavirus. Like I was always like, I had seven different offices. I would have meetings in Berlin and then I would need to get down to Dubai for investor meetings. And then I would back in Portugal working on the farm. 
So, you know, coronavirus has changed everything. It's going to change how we do things in the future. But one, one thing that really, it was really good advice, no matter what time zone I was working, we work in 14 time zones right now. It was like, wake up at the same time every day. And then that idea of, I can't remember the artist's name or the author's name, but like the 5am club where it's like, wake up early, work out a little bit, get your blood flowing, like come up with a strategy. Don't start checking emails in bed, like be intentional with your morning. And I, I like that quote, like own your morning, own your life. So it was like that first moment in the day when my brain's thinking like, work out a little bit, prioritize, meditate a little bit, like try to come up with some sort of new idea and plan out the day. Because if you don't, the day just starts to own you. And like my schedule could be 12 to 15 hours of stacked calls on a daily basis. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, I didn't actually do anything. And then I'm like, I'll catch up this weekend. So I really, every morning, like I wake up at 5 a.m., no matter what time zone now coronavirus, it's a lot easier to be in one place, but, and really focus on myself my company, like what are five things I'm going to get done today? Because even if I, if I just get those five things done and I have a mountain of other things to do and delegate, it allows me to like feel that little bit of accomplishment because when on a traditional day, I could be dealing with Massachusetts delivery licenses, Georgia applications, dealing with calls in Portugal, like regulatory issues with the lawyers back home, like staff motivation, project manager calls, like whatever it might be. But one thing that's really helped me over these last few years since I learned about it was like that 5am club of like how to like focus in the morning, work out, take care of oneself and not just like, I'll fix these things later. I'll take care of my health later. I'll drink water later. But if you go down as a business leader, your whole company is going to go down and your mental health is the one thing that you have and possess and have control over in your life, even though self-control is challenging for everyone. But like I start my day with that kind of focus. And one of the like little trick I learned on the Grand Canyon guiding years and years ago is like, no matter where it is, you know, look at the sunrise in the morning and just like honor that and be grateful. Even if you got crushed and lost millions of dollars the day before new lawsuits or this thing happening or that thing happening, or your favorite VP quitting because he's being married and having a date, whatever it might be. It's like being grateful for the opportunity to participate in a business because we control our destiny when you own a business instead of just going and showing up at work. But that means you are beholden to your employees, your staff, your clients, the regulators, or like in our case, the plant that feeds us. So it's really just that morning time is really important for me. And then at the end of the day, what didn't get done, what's super urgent, what needs to be done instantly. And the biggest key for scaling your business is delegation and like having good people to trust. Because if I go down, I mean, I've hired nearly a hundred different people in my company that could step in and take those calls. Like they might not have the same experience in some things, but I trust them to do their job better than I do. That's why I hired them. And having that courage to hire people to do a better job than I can even do it myself. I love it. And it's so important to make yourself a priority. We hear a lot of CEOs talk about what they do in their morning rituals and how they get themselves mentally prepared for the day at large so that they can go out and accomplish what they need to, which is the most important thing for them. So with that, what advice would you give a new entrepreneur or a new CEO that's assuming the role for the first time? What one piece of advice? I'm sure you've got a lot of advice for them, but if it's one thing, what would that be? Putting the infrastructure in place that you need to run your company. Because there's that idea of like, you either run your business or your business runs you, or you're like, you're working on your business or in your business. And normal CEOs, as we start hundreds and hundreds of companies every year, I'm commonly getting equity of those and being a part of those companies. Like I'll just see the business leader, like working in the business, doing the things like I need to do this. I'm the expert at this. And it's like, no, how do I work on the business? Like what things need to happen? What's my infrastructure? 
How do we deal with our accounting? How is our marketing, especially now with coronavirus? Like how do leads come in and it might not be at trade shows. It might be different. And how do you really have really good infrastructure to know what are you doing? How well are you doing it? Because I've talked to CEOs that are two, three years into their business. And I'm like, well, what, let's talk about your KPIs. And they're like, what are those? I'm like, well, 10, 15 years ago, I didn't know what those were either. But like key performance indicators, like how are you measuring the success of your business? And what tools do you use to deal with these things? So I think the most important thing is infrastructure, especially now, like I run empires off of smart. I mean, I, I'm vulnerable. Like I don't even know how to type. I type with two fingers and like my company will produce like 2000 page reports in a few days. I'm like, I bear, I don't even know how to type. So it's like, you know, I have good infrastructure, good people, but I also then am vulnerable enough to say like where my infrastructure is, you know, not good or what are my weaknesses and how do I have the infrastructure of the business cover those weaknesses? Because if I was sitting here like typing, like I should probably learn one of these days. I just figure I'm too old. It's like I'm too stubborn now, but uh, putting in the systems and the infrastructure to take care of your, you know, indiscretions or your shortcomings is, is the most important thing to start with. Good advice. Well, you know, I'd, I'd have to say, you know, from a, being an army guy and, and you being an Air Force guy, Air Force only allows you to type with each finger. I know that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say, anyways, with that being said, you know, for you with this journey, you know, how do you stay motivated to show up and be present for your company and your customers every day? What do you do? Well, it's definitely taken a, like a toll on personal life. I'm like, I'm single. I don't have children. You know, I'm 30, 36. I've worked in this industry since, you know, I got out of the military at 22 and, you know, I had some degrees, but you know, when it comes to like staying motivated, it's like a quote from Bob Marley. It's like, he got shot. And, you know, he was in the hospital and he had a concert that day and they're like, Bob, take a day off. And he's like, the bad people don't take days off. And when I look at this industry, this is a, one of the biggest opportunities that we've ever had, like of a new emerging industry. And there are a lot of horrible people and or, like this industry didn't have the best reputation anyways, but there's a lot of people that just think, oh, we've got this pest problem, just spray this pesticide on it. And it's just mycobutanol. Well, when that's burned above 317 degrees, it turns into hydrogen cyanide. That goes into people's lungs. And any product that I'm making, I consider it's for like my sick grandmother. So it's like that kind of personal responsibility that knowing like there are a lot of bad actors that are better capitalized than we are, have better resources from Wall Street or from their previous experience in investment banking. They know how to manipulate the system. They don't care about the plant, the end product, or like what the reputation of the industry is. So like for me, it's knowing that what we do matters. And there are a lot of good people in this industry and in trying to establish it. But if we don't really create that positive light on this or showing a different path, because there's a problem, I solve it this way, problem, I solve it this way. And some of these problems have taken years and years to build these bridges and one match can burn the whole bridge down. So realizing like the bad people don't take days off and we only have so long until this is normalized. You don't get some of these revolutionary ideas when you're older or like willing to take some of these risks with your portfolios and grandkids. So, you know, being agile and adaptive and very, very like goal focused of even if I'm poor at the end of all of this, like I, I'll know at the end of the day when I lay down, like I did my part in making this industry a better, better industry. And it's in my mind, like from Bandana Shiva's models of like people, planet, profit, you have to be equal in all three of those departments to have like a true profit. And normal business is like you screw, you cut down the forest, you make your lumber, that's how you make your money. It's like, oh, we'll replant trees. But this is like the first time in the history of business that I feel that doing the right thing environmentally and the right thing socially is actually the most profitable thing that you can do. Like big greenhouses, big outdoor plantations, not using very dangerous solvents that could get you in lawsuits later. Like really being mindful of like the planet that we use 
to create this and the people that are our workers and not screwing things over to like make a profit, but like working with those systems, just like my biology or ecology background of like being part of the system, like to make things better. That's, I guess, my main reason that I wake up every day and work as hard as I do. I love it. Always do the right thing and take care of the planet because it's the only one we have. So to switch gears for a last question, I have to ask you, I mean, you said that you are a skier, you are Grand Canyon River Guide. Uh, you seem like an adventure seeker because you're a world traveler as well. You know, outside of work, you know, what's another passion of yours? Well, that's kind of been the, the main passion there for years. But yeah, when I got out of the military, I was hurt, you know, kind of had enough of the world. Hence, like why I settled down in, in the, probably the most desolate remote county in Colorado and uh, used some of my last savings from the military. Bought a 35 acre off the grid parcel, built a straw bale house and really focused on like environmental systems. Like when you can just plug into like the power of the water, it's easy to not you know, question where things go. And you know, I remember learning a long time ago, we, we believe in this place called a way, like, where does your food come from? Or where does your waste go? But when you like have an off the grid property, it's like, I have to create everything and deal with those systems. So that really was like a big backbone for the company of thinking like, how can I live? You know, even though I might, you know, have been on like private jets from Dubai back to LA, like with like clients and giant investors or using huge oil and gas proceeds from family offices to invest in new industries. I've had to learn how to compromise from a very simple minded, like, you know, I do like a 30, 30 day Grand Canyon trip for 300 miles, like all of our food, water, shelter, fire on a boat that's going through 30 foot waves. And just like what I do now, and I would guide that, like I'd been there before, but I had some very scared people that had never been there. And I wanted to share that beauty. But I remember mountain guiding um, up the Crestone Needle over, you know, in Colorado one day and we were, you know, 200 feet from the summit and the storm was coming in. My clients are like, we got to get to the summit. I'm like, we didn't come here to get you to the summit. I came here to make sure you get home safely. And it's that same kind of idea of like, so like my life, my personal life, my business, like they're all kind of intertwined in like one thing. And I use my business to drive those passions. But I figure in least as of now, being mindful of like those systems that feed us and the people that are from this, because if this was any normal industry, it wouldn't be as unique or I wouldn't be motivated. Even if you're like, hey, Nick, you're going to be a multimillionaire someday. I'm like, that's not what I do this for. It's, it's to really create something that's intergenerational wealth and prosperity. That's not just for like my kids or like, it's thinking of like future generations where if the alcohol industry had thought about this or the train industry had thought about this, they would have made different decisions where kind of like you said, Jamie, like do the right thing. Like we used to have trains all over the place, but then we could sell more tires and more windshields and more windshield wipers with cars if we got rid of the trains. Like, hey, that's a great idea. But there's a reason that Europe didn't do that because trains make a lot of sense. Or when you look at why cannabis was made illegal even in the first place, it wasn't about the, the medicine, like smoking marijuana. It was, hey, hemp is six times better than cotton. It's 40 times better than paper. It's the only plant that makes like omega-3, 6s, and 9s, like six tons of protein per acre. Like that would be like having cows stacked on top of each other. And it's this plant that's really important for an 8 billion person population for how we're going to like feed ourselves how we're going to have paper, how we're going to like make houses, how we're going to make plastics as we're getting past peak oil. And for protein sources, like, you know, we can't just keep having cathodes or like overfishing the ocean. It's like, we really need to diversify into like plant-based proteins and some other things that it's really this giant coalescence, you know, like for me of why I do and what I wake up for, of how I balance that personal life, professional life of knowing what we do matters. And you other business owners out there, you have to embody that, like what you do matters, even if it's selling bathroom fixtures. Where do you source your porcelain? Like, how do you make sure your workers are like making living sustainable wages or not using solvents that are maybe giving them cancer? Yeah, it might be cheaper, 
But in the long run, those lawsuits are not going to be cheaper. And it might be even a good thing to market and brand. You're doing the right thing, not just to greenwash, but there's always an avenue that you can do better as your business. And if it's from your personal reasons and your personal life and why you do that, you're going to show up stronger, more motivated, and you're going to go home happier and live a more sustainable, happy life if you do that. Downward. You know, I, I think about the comment of doing the right thing. You know, doing the right thing is always easy to explain to your children. You know, it cuts down on the things you have to keep up with. You go, well, yeah, I, I would have probably done it this way. And you go, yeah, that's what you said. You go, yeah, that's the right thing. You know, and so it's a simple mantra. Simple, to, what is it, difference between easy and simple? So <laughs> any case, you know, Nick, we've been harassing you for a while. <laughs> Jamie's the worst. She's the worst. No. I am. She's the worst. But, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time. It is fascinating to watch you try to establish the culture of an industry. And, you know, I think about how many times, it reminds me of the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a whole different technology and whatnot. So, you know, I look forward to uh, hearing of your success and impact. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time out of your day to visit with us. Absolutely. Well, Bob and Jamie, it's been an absolute honor and privilege. I probably wouldn't think, you know, the cannabis industry would be right here on uh, on a show or getting this kind of award. It was definitely uh, big for my team to share that kind of honor, knowing that without them, I would have never been able to do what I do. And without you know, investors being able to trust us and clients being able to trust us based on our track record, you know, we would have gone out of business a long time ago. And if someone can do what we do better, you know, bring it on, but we're constantly going to be here and adapt and evolve to make sure that we do this in the right way moving forward. So really been an honor to share with you all today. And before Thanks, I forget, which yeah. I will, social media, how do people find you? Well, 3ccannabis.com, also Multiverse Capital. Multiverse Capital is what we, I kept seeing massive investment opportunities in the space. And we, you can't fight a war without bullets. So that's why we started our venture capital funds and have seen well over a, a billion dollars of capital deployed in the cannabis industry through the projects we've worked on. So if there's investors that are trying to figure out how to invest into the space or new people that want to get into the industry or existing operators that need help with their businesses, uh, www3, see the letter and then the word cannabis, C-A-N-N-A-B-I-S.com or you know, on LinkedIn, you know, all the normal places there. But uh, NIC is my first name, Nick, uh, short version of Nicholas. So. Uh, Never understood where that K came from for more, more people. So I just made that a point. But uh, definitely here to help. And we've got a long way until the industry you know, gets done. But looking at a big potentially federal decriminalization coming, looking at social equity, like more minority business owners getting into the space, a diversity of capital. And here in five, 10 years, you're going to see a whole different world where it's not just CBD products at a gas station or maybe a dispensary you pass in, in Colorado or Massachusetts, but really creating something that's going to be new and changing the future that we, we live in. So it's really an honor to, uh, to do this for y'all. Well, Thank I you. appreciate it. Thanks so very much. And for those of you that are listening that are interested in learning more about Nick's story, you can visit us at www.titan.com. 100.biz and you can read the profiles of all the Titan 100 including Nick's profile. Thanks so much for being with us this morning Nick. Absolutely. You Thank guys you. have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You bet. Take care.